You are listening to the Catholic Recon Podcast, testimonies from Catholic reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Don't forget to leave a review and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, everyone. I'm Eddie Trask, and I just want to talk about the top three reasons why Protestants become Catholic. On my show, Catholic Recon, I interview reverts and converts every week, and I thought it'd be wise, and I got some feedback from others to compile some of the common reasons why Protestants become Catholic. Now, this is not all-inclusive, of course. This relates to the people that I have interviewed, and the verses I'm going to cite are also not all-inclusive, so I wanted to mention that up front. So the people that I've interviewed, these are the common themes here. So number one, unsurprisingly, is authority. I'm going to go to Matthew 16, 18 through 19, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So authority, let's think about that in terms of what did Jesus give to St. Peter, and you'll see from these other points how authority goes hand in hand with that. Number two is the early church. Think of this as what did Jesus give to his apostles? And what did his apostles give to others as a result? So that's where you get apostolic succession, which ties to sacred tradition, which also ties to authority. So some of the verses that have been cited and some that I've heard offline as well, Let's start with 1 Corinthians 11.2. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I have delivered them to you. And in this Ignatius study Bible that I'm looking at here, they go a little bit further. As it relates to the traditions, they say, in other words, the beliefs and practices of Christianity stemming from Christ. By extension, it refers to the gospel as it was delivered to the early church in person or in writing by the inspired apostles. So, side note, this relates to the time period several hundred years before canon was recognized and received by the Catholic Church in the fourth century, declared as canon. Also in that note related to 1 Corinthians 11.2, the divine origin of Christian tradition gives it an authority not shared by merely human tradition, which is often unreliable and can be in conflict with revealed truth. Another verse, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. And then I also would say, if you go to Acts 1, 20 through 26, you read about how Matthias replaced Judas. So I invite you to read that. I'm not going to read that whole series there. So what did Jesus give to St. Peter? What did Jesus give to the apostles? And what did the apostles then therefore subsequently hand to others and then what did jesus give to us and that is the holy eucharist he gave us his body his blood 
his soul, his divinity. And he gave this because he loves us. And he is in every tabernacle. He is brought to us every day. There are daily masses throughout the world. We're talking every day. He is here. He wants to be with us. And it is a beautiful thing. Before I read from John 6, I want to mention that the doctrine, the dogma rather, of transubstantiation, what I just mentioned, where Jesus becomes fully present in the Eucharist, that was defined at the Fourth Lateran Council in the 13th century. Does that mean that's the genesis of the teaching? No. So anytime you hear someone say, well, that was declared in the 1950s or the 1850s, or the 1540s, that is not the genesis of the teaching. And that's why sacred tradition is so important. And that's why when I talk about the early church, many Protestants went back and read the early church and saw Catholic teaching. They didn't necessarily want to see it. They weren't even prepped to become Catholic. A lot of them were confronted with something they weren't ready for, but they said, Lord, I am open. I am humble. I am willing. Please show me your truth. I have some preconceived notions. I have some confirmation bias going on. Please help me. So with that, let's read John 6. Specifically, 47 through 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. I'll leave you all with that. Those are the three reasons. Authority, early church, holy Eucharist. What did Jesus give to St. Peter? What did he give to his apostles? What did he give to all of us? Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Take care and God bless. Bye.